Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Hey Juicy Lemoners, before we start the show, we wanted to remind you to follow and subscribe to us on whichever podcasting app you're listening to. And as always, enjoy the show. Do you know how to cook rice? This week on Lemon, why has a BBC food presenter gone viral for her fried rice video tutorial? And how will this season of MasterChef change the lives of many Asian Australians? And joining us later on the show today, Isaiah Firebrace chats to us about releasing new music during ISO and his work in our First Nation communities. Each week we dissect the conversation Asian millennials are having, so don't go anywhere because you're listening to Lemon. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lemon. As always, my name is Philip Cooch and joining me is the farting and burping Thomas Tan. Hello. Hello. Starting off the show today, I do want to ask you, what would you rank as your most favorite instant noodle? As in like the brand or like the type of noodles? The brand. Let's go with the brand. Ooh. Like best and worst. Oh, you put me on the spot. Okay, people are going to give me a lot of hate for this, but one of the worst, not the worst, but not one of my favorite noodles is actually the Shin Ramen noodles. What? I don't know. The iconic Shin Ramen noodles. The iconic Shin Ramen noodles, which isn't very- There goes our sponsorship, (laughs) buddy. (laughs) Can I take a bag? (laughs) No, it's because I understand that it's really tasty, but it's just not for me. What don't you like about it? I think the spice level, it's- not very, you know, there are some spices that you taste that, which is very like, oh, you want some more. Oh, it's actually like a very nice level of spice. And I can take spicy, but this level of spice that Shin Ramen does, it's like, I just feel like I'm eating heat. Uh, it's like, like crazy wings. How it's a bit like crazy, crazy wings. wings where like, it is yum, but the more I'm eating, the more it's like, I'm just eating chili. Like I'm just, I'm just eating heat. Like it just, it's, it's like, it they just, just tastes hot. Like they just put it in a spice just for the sake of putting spicy for spiciness only. Yeah, but whereas, like, for example, if I go to, like, a Korean restaurant and, and I'm having kimchi stew, that kimchi stew, even though it's really spicy, there's a lot of depth to it, if that makes sense. I mean... Well, hello. maybe maybe you just need to control the spice level. <laughs> I can take spice, but it just tastes hot. But, okay, my favourite... I got actually kind of can have two. One is... Um, I think it's called... Wei Lei. There's like a little Asian man who's holding a little cup noodle, but the reason why I love that one, because that reminds me of my childhood. My mom would buy a lot of the beef and the chicken flavor ones. She would make that as like a late night snack. And one of my all-time favorites, which I love to eat raw, is the mama noodles. Oh, the mama Thai noodles, oh, the yellow ones. Yes. Iconic. So then like, you know, when you crush it in like your little packet and then you add your seasoning, you just shake it up and you eat it. That's like, that's my snack. I love it so much. But what about for you? One of my fondest me- me- memories is actually in the mama noodles, like the one I used to spoke about. And I remember back in the day, my grandma used to um, make them and then she would make it like dry and then she'd drain all the water out, put the seasoning and then she would add some bit of sugar and it just tastes amazing with a bit of sugar. Wait, what about, the, does the flavor go after she drains the After, noodles? after, of course. <laughs> she's, not, she's not that uncultured. Um, but I wouldn't say that is my favorite though. My favorite noodle 
brand of all time is Indomie. Indomie. <gasps> Indomie. Mm. <laughs> um, I just have like the best memories of eating this when I was younger. Like, like I used to be a really big kid, and I used to eat like three packets, <laughs> three packets for dinner, maybe three packets before for supper as well. Oh my gosh. Um, but like, like these days I crave it so much, but I just can't eat it because I know I'll, I know I'll just get over go overboard once I start. Mm. Um, but my least favorite noodles I would have to probably say. Are the ones you find in Coles and Woolies the the, the one yellow that, ones? The one that, I think they're called Maggie's chicken chicken. Actually, no, I I, I take that about what I said about Shin Ramen. Those are actually the worst ones. Okay, let's let's not call them worse. Let's call them, the worst. let's call them like average. In case we do, in case we lose our sponsorship opportunities, they're they're the bit of like the non cultured ones. Yeah, like I feel every time I eat them, I feel so betrayed. Like <laughs> it just doesn't taste right. It just tastes. I know mean, it's not even it's not a bad thing, but it just doesn't taste real. It just tastes like wet. Spaghetti. <laughs> I mean, they make great soy sauce. They do actually make really good soy sauce. Um, but moving on, I do want to say a few other announcements. I we got our first. Um, well, a few weeks ago, we enabled that sponsorship thing where where listeners can submit money to us if they like what we're doing. Yeah, and we kind of put it up not expecting anything. But hello, thank you for our sponsorship money, guys. You messaged me like a couple of days ago saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And like, what's going on? You're like, we just got money. We got paid $4.25. <laughs> that is really good. That's amazing. Like, but this is not being sarcastic or anything, but like, we are, we generally appreciate those $4. We actually do. Like, half the time, we don't even think anyone's listening. So, <laughs> for someone to... Um, to submit, send us some money and and buy us coffee. Thank you so much. Thank you. We we are at, at the moment social distancing, so we can't share that coffee yet. But definitely after coronavirus, we'll be buying a coffee to share. Why don't you use four dollars? Split it to two dollars each, and then we buy one mama noodle and one indomie. What else is plenty? All right, yeah, you could do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much to Yo-Yo. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Thank you so much um, for sending us some money and being our sugar mommy or sugar daddy. Um, if anyone else does want to be our sugar mommy or daddy, you can head to the show notes. Or oh, it could be they. We don't... Or we they. Don't, yeah, of course. We don't discriminate against gender. Well, if you want to be our sugar... Sugar... <laughs> sugar feeders. <laughs> Just sugar. Just sugars. Um, head down to the show notes and yeah, send up some cash. <laughs> That sounds so weird. Let's take a live look now outside. Ladies and gentlemen of America. Ariana Grande licked and spit on the merchandise. There can be a hundred people in the room. <laughs> Lady Brittany alone. Catch me outside. How about that? Rise and shine. China. 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 Well, this year's MasterChef, we've been talking a lot about it on on this show here and lots of other podcasts and lots of articles and stuff are talking about MasterChef this year. And one of the big reasons why everyone's talking about it is because of, diver- of the diversity casting that's happened in the show. Like, we had the first female Asian, Asian and female um, judge on the show, but also we had about six Asian contestants and heaps of other people of colour um, on the shows, so everyone's talking about how MasterChef is showcasing, I guess, like the real Australia, like what Australia actually looks like. And one of the contestants who's been, um, I guess, like on the front of that is Reynolds, who made it to, made it to the top three of the show this year. And on the show, he talked about just on the finale, we, he talked about how he feels like as an migrant in Australia, he feels like no matter how hard he works it feels like he can, he can just never reach the top. 
And he owns, him and his family own, you know, six, very successful, you know, restaurants in Australia and in Sydney. And he's saying that although they may appear successful, they also struggle a lot because they're, you know, they're a migrant family. And so it got me thinking of my own experiences um, about how, I guess, like as, you know, someone who's a child of migrants, how our, my life growing up in Australia was was very difficult, and how 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 hard I had to work. Um, but Tom, before I do want to go into a whole essay about mm. how I feel, did you? What were your experiences like? Because your mum moved here from Malaysia. I guess for me, I one thing I am actually truly blessed is that my mum had the privilege of going to attend a higher education. So she actually studied at the University of Winnipeg in Canada, and for her to be able to graduate high school and go to university back in those days, that's a big thing. And when I compare her to a lot of other, um, my friends' parents who didn't have that opportunity, I actually feel that sometimes that it's, it's for me that I feel the struggle with migrant families isn't about um, money, but it's more about the communities. Because my mom, being educated, she can speak English really well. But whereas I see a lot of other families, they speak no English. Coming to Australia, to a foreign country like Australia, for them, it's very hard for them to fit into a community. So when I hear about stories about migrant families, the first thing I think about is loneliness. Have they found a sense of community? Have Do they have a place where they feel like home, even though they're not born here. You're right. You're totally right. Like my parents, like think of my own experiences here. My parents came here with no education. Like they left school, like pretty much in high school, like like in year seven or year eight equivalent. So they basically basically came here without knowing how to speak the language or without any education. Um, and I, I think we spoke about this many times on the podcast before about how my parents used to work on a farm, you know, earning like less than minimum wage. Um, and I feel like, as migrants in Australia, you know, you come here and you're disadvantaged. You're coming to a community and a country that's not made for you. And I know that, you know, everyone talks about how Australia is so diverse and how, like, there's so many migrant families here. But at the end of the day, like, this country does not treat its migrants well. Mm. The system isn't built for non-whites, if I could say that. For for my mum, I feel that with a lot of other families too, they don't have that sense of belonging here more than us because they don't they didn't grow up here. They know nothing about this country. And for them to work their way up to find people like them is so extremely hard. And I guess like the reason why stereotypically a lot of Asian parents put a lot of hope and pressure onto their children is because they came from nothing and they see hope in, in their children. And so I feel like I totally understand why Reynolds feels like feels feels this pressure to although he did really well in the last season on the show, he feels disappointed in himself that he didn't win. And so I feel like ourselves, like we we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as well to do well because we know that our parents came here with nothing and they're kind of depending on us for their retirement and, and for their life life as well. Um, and I just remember, like, when I was growing up, like, I remember, like, I was so determined to to be really successful because I I know that my parents were always putting that in me. She's, and they'll be like, you know, we want you to be successful so you can take care of us. And so growing up, there's always been that constant pressure to, I guess, like, work really hard and, and keep overachieving. But then on the flip side, it kind of made me think about how also – 
in in Australia and I guess many places around the world where where Asians are the minority, it feels like there's only one seat at the table at these places. Mm. And the reason why I say this is because I remember I remember growing up, I wanted to become the first, I guess, like Asian prime minister or the gay <laughs> first gay Asian prime minister. Mm. Something I mentioned before to you before. Pen- uh, like Penny Wong. Yeah, but damn Penny Wong. <laughs> Take my spot. Um, and I just remember like remember seeing how I learned of Penny Wong and seeing how she was openly gay and she was Asian and that she was like a very senior role in the government. I was like, oh well, she's gonna become, I guess, like the prime like the first Asian prime minister. There's never gonna be another Asian prime minister. I'm not even gonna try again. Mm. And it's just like this kind of reflects on everything else in in the workforce that you know in our workplaces in schools and in, in teams and everything where where if we see another asian doing really well yes we feel happy for them but also we feel like we're not going to get an opportunity not for another mm. while until that person is gone as an asian person do you feel like there's only one seat at the table and and these workplaces and different places they only want to put one asian person and that's it and you don't want to try anymore 100% it's like that role that is so stereotypically there that only one person can take, like one one token black chick can take that spot and one token Asian chick. Like even we're speaking to our friend Jenny, there's only one Asian role and there's 50 to 100 people applying for that one role. If you don't get it, then bad luck, you know? Mm. Actually, wait, this is back um, back in dental days. Do you know how you're saying how there's only can be one token person for that particular role, right? So um, we have quite a lot of nurses back in my dental clinic and there is this one token girl with red hair everybody loves her and what happened they were interviewing new nurses to actually apply for that role and the next person that got that role was another redhead and it created like a little bit of drama but not like bad drama but every time when um the new redhead or what we call in the shade of the ranger when the new ranger came into the same room as the old redhead to kind of make a bit of like a diss or a bit of a remark. So it got me thinking, do you know how with your Goldilocks store and your bakery, it's only competitive when it is in a Western environment. So let's say in Springvale, which is like all Asian dominated um, place, there's so many Asian restaurants, people don't really care. But because your store's in Croydon, which is like a pretty white dominated suburb, the restaurant or the bakery next door, which is Asian, is that competitive for you guys or... Um, yes, it is competitive, but I don't know, does it really relate though? Because like, because they're literally our competition. So the rivalry there is about competition, not about Asian-ness. But I do have to say, now that you mentioned about my workplace, we do hire a lot of Asians and not because we're discriminating about other people or anything, but... Um, but just because I have lots of cousins who work for me. Mm. So I feel like when we do have a new Asian coming in, it's not competitive. Um, it's, it doesn't feel like we're competing with another with each other. Whereas I've heard so many stories from my other friends where there are only one or two Asians and they feel like, feel like if they're fighting, for, if they're going to be in, in the same position, they kind of have, have to like prove themselves because they might be only, like they want to stand out. To, to their employer or to mm. their boss because like if you're the token Asian well if there's only one Asian there's only one seat at the table right mm. um, but then if you could think about it as well like just look at all the reality TV show castings when what, what we talked about other than, than Chef, 
they cast one Asian person or one black person and be like, okay, done. Job is done. Mm, <laughs> uh, diversity hire is completely yeah, finished. Yeah, and that's the same for every other workplace. Like, they'll just hire one Asian or one black person or a woman and it'd be like, okay, done. We've done our job. Diversity is done. We're, we're such a diverse com- mm. company. I think just going back into Reynolds here, I just think, you know, I guess as m- migrants in Australia, you, we come here and we pretty much start from scratch. You know, we start our lives here basically from scratch, whereas other people have had generations of wealth here. You know, they pass on their, their, their wealth onto, you know, onto each other. Whereas where we come here, we come here, you know, empty-handed. And then when something like coronavirus happens, we've got nothing else to back us up. We've only got, you know, this small business that we have or this job that we only that we only rely on and then when a pandemic hits we're screwed there's nothing else to fall back on mm, and think about all the other people who let's say they don't speak english how they're going to access information about covid they can't they don't know what's going on they have no idea what's going on people aren't telling them anything as well so people who are living in australia who don't speak english very well who don't read english very well it's a very bad position to be in and then on top of that if you are coming from a migrant family or you come from another country and you're here by yourself, COVID happens, loneliness is such a big impact, I feel, for a lot of these people. And because, like, you know, humans need human interaction, depression, mental illness, anxiety, all these things add up together. So people who come here as an immigrant or, or from migrant families are in very, very tough positions. Yeah, and just look at what happened in Melbourne a few weeks ago in in the, in the public housing towers in, in Melbourne where where an out- outbreaks happened because the government wasn't communicating properly to these communities, not communicating their languages. And that's just a testament to how broken our system is. I think on, a- on another episode, we talked about the bamboo ceiling, where it's this invisible, I guess, like l- ceiling where Asians people can't break, f- break through. It's kind of similar to how women can't break through the glass ceiling because, you know, you've got all these people above us who are trying to keep us down. Um, and by not, yeah, I, I just, if you want to listen to the episode, head back to one of our old episodes. We spoke in depth about that. Um, but we would love to know what you guys think. How, what were your experiences growing up in Australia? Um, tell us, do you feel like you have to work a bit harder than everyone else just to get to where you are? Um, head to over to our Facebook page and Instagram page and let us know what you think. There'll be more Lemon coming up shortly. But first, here's a few words from today's sponsors. There has been a video that was reviewed, I'd say reviewed, by a guy, Malaysian guy named Uncle Roger. And he was reviewing this video, that, which was done by a BBC presenter. Her name is Hersha Patel. And she was just going through the motions and just doing a bit of a recipe demonstration of how to cook rice or fried rice. And for those who haven't seen the video yet, just Google Hersha Patel cooking rice and you can see what we're talking about. So wait, tell us what happened. Because I, I didn't see any bits and pieces of, of the video. So why has this gone completely viral? So in the video demonstration, right, she started like, oh yeah, you know, here's cooked rice. Um, she chucked the water in without even washing the rice first. Ooh, number one broken rule. The second rule was that after she cooked the rice, like semi-cooked the rice, she rinse the rice and just kept washing the rice with water even though it was kind of cooked okay hold on all right i have a confession first of all first of all i actually don't know how to cook rice what do you mean <laughs> i i don't know how to cook rice um wait so i i if someone told you to make rice how would you make rice um like 
like the rinsing thing, I thought it was optional. I didn't know that you actually have to rinse what it. What do you mean? <laughs> so when everyone was like talking about this thing, I had to Google. I'm like, why do you have to rinse um, rice? What the heck? And now I know why I have to rinse rice. And why is that? To make it like less starchy or whatever. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> you to wash away the starch. You wash away the starch, yeah. And and so that's I, why you always buy your rice rather pre cooked in packets. Look, yeah. If so, anyone listening to this doesn't know, I buy my rice where you microwave it. <laughs> And you can eat it. Well, partly because I don't, I don't, I live by myself, so I don't eat enough rice to cook a whole bowl of rice. Mm. And also because, yeah, I can't cook rice. Um, but yeah, watching this video, it's good to know that you can cook some rice by um, dipping your finger into the thing to measure the water. It was a bit strange for me watching this video. It's because someone who has made rice growing up and other Asians who do make rice growing up, we all make it the same way. No matter what country you come from, we all put the rice in the pot wash it a couple of times, get rid of all that dirt and stuff like that. Put cold water into the thing. Why cold and not warm water? Would you put hot water would it cook faster? Maybe. That's a good question. Actually, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's because, I don't know, in my head, it's like the hot water is like dirty or contaminated. If you put the hot water into the rice, that means it makes your rice dirty. But anyways, then you dip your finger through that index where that crease is on your finger, pop it in, and then it cooks. But she cooks it in a very different way. So I did a bit more research and I went to look into her profile and she is a BBC actress, you know, presenter, one of those people who actually is in the face of BBC. And Uncle Roger flew to England, I think, to go and meet her. He lives in England. He lives in England. They both live in London, yeah. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) Well, anyway, so after meeting, um, he explained like, you know, what happened, what was going on. And she made, she commented, she said, you guys... I know how to cook rice. Like, please don't come. Please do not send me hate or troll comments. I know how to cook rice because she is... She's Indian, yeah. Indian of descent. And she did say, the reason why I did what I did, I had to rinse the rice, is because I was following a BBC recipe and that's all I will say. So... Oh my gosh. What can we say about this? Uh, she was probably told by a white person to <laughs> to wash the rice after it's cooked because Poor it's like girl. hot, so it probably has to cool down or whatever. But like, shouldn't she say, I've been cooking rice for X many years. Hello, I'm Indian. Or, you know, I come from a place where we cook rice, we eat rice every day. This isn't how you do it. Why can't she tell that? I don't know. Maybe like what you said in the last segment. It's because we're not allowed to. We're not allowed to. Um, but anyway, <laughs> like I do have to say, like who even cooks rice on a stove anymore? Don't we all use rice cookers now? Right, I, I microwave my rice. Oh, you do microwave your rice. Is wait, is that normal? Do you are people meant to mi- microwave rice? Yeah, why not? Like raw rice, like mild the rice I buy is cooked already, so you just microwave it. But you're on you microwave from from raw, raw rice, like, like non cooked rice. Oh my gosh! We chuck it in that container and then like I don't. I feel microwave is a lot more quicker because I don't know why. Even like we have a really good um, rice cooker, it takes so long to cook. It's like. 20 minutes, 25 minutes, but in the microwave, it's like eight minutes and it's done. Anyways, this segment made me think about, you know, what are some things that as millennials, what should we, what are some things that we should be knowing how to do that we don't know how to do? Anything off the top of your head that you can't do that you should know how to do? I don't know how to pay my taxes. <laughs> that is true. But also a lot of people don't know how to pay their taxes. Um, but I do have some, I guess like some... Wait, just to clarify, I do pay my taxes. I just don't know how to do it. I just hire somebody to do it for me. <laughs> your mom. Your mom's an accountant. So my mom is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so the first one I have here is baking. Would, do you, would you say you know how to bake? Yeah, I mean, baking's not that tricky. What can you bake? I can follow a recipe. Like, I can, if a recipe told me to do something, I can Are just do sure it. Are you sure about that? Like, we've been trying to cook my meal prep things and like... 
So no, that's different. So guys, I have a dinner kit thing where they deliver like the groceries and you cook it, like, and they give you instructions. And I'll be cooking it with Tom, and he'll be like, look at the ing- like the, what's what like the ingredients, and he'll be like, okay, I know what to do. And he does whatever he wants to do, and then it turns out completely wrong and not what the instruction card but says. But does it taste good? It, t- it doesn't taste what it should be tasting. But does it taste good? No, it doesn't taste what it should be but tasting. I'm asking, I paid I paid five dollars or whatever it is for that meal to taste but, this but way. But answer my question: Does it taste good? It tasted okay. It tastes really good. Thank you very much. But that's different because I saw the recipe and I chose to ignore it. I chose to follow my own recipe. <laughs> no. Even when you said you were going to follow, you didn't follow it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, can you bake then or not? I can follow recipe. I mean, if I mean, are you going to make your own recipe from the baking recipe? No, I mean baking is a bit different because baking is a lot more like chemistry. Like it has to be like standard temperature, or whatever. But I took baking classes back in high school. I, I think I, I can bake. Okay, fair enough. Well, obviously I know how to bake because I own a bakery. <laughs> so um, the next question I have here is, what about? Practicing basic table etiquette. Oh, yeah, I do that. You're very. You don't. Oh, I'm getting better, though. You eat with your mouth open. Only like, in front of you. No, in front of everyone, you no, eat with your mouth open. in front of you. Even like, like when I'm. This is not a diss at you, but, but even like if we. Be, prior to COVID, when we go out to have food, like yours. Are, no, only to you. Um, how dare you dispend this podcast? Actually, I have. I, I know. I realize something else that you do during food. When the food comes right, um, is you're supposed to, you know, wait for people to take the food first, or, you know, give it to your elders, or whatever. But when I eat with you, it's like you just go straight into the food. Look, I'm hungry. By the time we eat, I'm like starving. Oh my god! But I'm not that bad. You're not that bad. I'm exaggerating a lot. Well, okay. What I mean by basic table etiquette is, you know how like if you go fine dining and there's like three sets of forks, two sets of knives, two sets of spoons, one small teaspoon. Like, do you know which one are you meant to go for first? No, of course not. Is it inside out or outside in? Apparently it's outside in. So you work your way from the outside and then you work your way inside. What if there's like four sets of cutlery and you only order two dishes? Well, I think that waiter comes and takes the ones you don't need, right? Ah, oh, true. I, nev- I mean, I never paid that much for food anyways. That's because you always eat at home. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. Drive a stick shift. Like oh, a manual car. Oh, no, I cannot. Cannot. I'm too uncoordinated for that. But is that a millennial? Is that just one of those things that millennials should learn? Or is it one of those things that it's just been outdated and we've been replaced with better cars? I think stick cars aren't as prevalent these days as the previous generation. I think in the previous generation, it was pretty cool. Mm. But now, I think we're all too lazy to drive stick cars. Just chuck it on Prindle and you're good. Yeah. What? Second what? Prindle. It's Prindle. P-R-N-D-L-E, like park, reverse. Neutral R. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, we would love to know what you guys can or can't do as millennials. Don't be, don't lie. Just be honest. Come to our Facebook page and Instagram page and let us know. Be The more embarrassing, the better it is. Like, if it's really embarrassing, just DM us. We won't share it. We might just post on our story, but that's about it. Can you sew? Um, Knit, crochet? I could do, I could sew a button. Yeah, I could sew. Would it look nice or would it look a little bit drunk? If I actually put effort into it, it would look nice. <laughs> so our next guest on the show today is Isaiah Firebrace. He was the winner of X Factor Australia. And he also represented Australia at Eurovision. Mm. And this week, I got to caught up with him this week. Um, about his new song that's come out called Know Me Better. And the song is about how he 
Well, actually, it's a song. It's a love song, but he also said it, it had a dual meaning about how he's grown up over the last few years and how he's discovered himself um, as a musician. And we also spoke about all the amazing work he's been doing in the Aboriginal community. So this was a great chat and hope you guys enjoy it. Well, Isaiah, how are you going? I'm good, thanks, Phil. <laughs> thanks for having me on the show. No worries. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I want to know, you know, we've been, well, we're in Victoria. I don't know. You've been, you're in Sydney, right? Are you been no, I'm in Victoria in Melbourne. Oh, you're, yes. oh, you're trapped down here with us. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, yes, I'm one of the trapped ones. Uh, no. <laughs> um, but Jose, I want to really want to know, what can you recommend to our listeners? Have, what have you been keeping yourself you know, busy during ISO with? Uh, well, other than like music and like jamming out with music and stuff, um, cooking, I think. If anyone out there is, is getting bored around the house, try some cooking. I think that's something that I've... I've been doing, I've cooked a few Ooh. meals. And any standout dishes that you've cooked that you can maybe recommend people to try? <laughs> Two nights ago, I cooked like these amazing burgers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty good in the kitchen. So I, yeah. And I'm, I'm a big fan of my own cooking. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really good to know because um, as you know, a lot of millennials like myself, we can't cook. So glad to know at least there's one of us that can cook. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I love burgers. I made like... I'm super made from like scratch, you know, with like all, all the spices and herbs and stuff. Yeah. I think it's, it's given me some time to brush up on my cooking technique. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, as I, as I, the next question we have is that we always ask our guests is, um, what was your childhood like growing up in Australia? What was my childhood like? Oh, good question. I haven't really been asked really that, that one before. Um, I grew up in, a small country town on the border of New South Wales and Victoria called Moama. It's actually pretty much known as Ichuka Moama. I'm not sure if you know it or if anyone out there, but um, yeah, on the Murray River, I grew up there. Um, growing up was, was cool. I was always like a crazy little kid, always a big smile on my face. Um, I loved um, sport in, in school. I loved athletics. Um, yeah. I grew up in the church Um Grew up with my dad and my brother. Um, yeah, always loved singing. And yeah, I think, yeah, growing up, my childhood was was really good. My dad brought me up really well. He's, he's pretty old school. <laughs> and growing up, because a lot of us, I guess like a lot of us who... Uh, like my, for me, for me, for example, my parents are Cambodian, so I've always I like struggled with my identity. You know, trying to figure out whether I'm Australian or am I, whether I was Cambodian. For yourself, um, have you always identified more? I guess like with your First Nations side, or have you always seen yourself as Australian, or like have you had had any identity issues with anything around that? I honestly, I feel like I I have actually had identity issues. Not issues, like I feel like I've been on a journey of finding my identity is more better way to put it. <laughs> um, yeah, especially with my Indigenous um, background, it's been, a, I think it, it is a life journey for a lot of people to find out who you are and what that means. And yeah, especially with my Indigenous background, I think I'm like slowly coming into really knowing the full depth of that and what that actually means for me as a person and also as an artist and someone who has a platform. But yeah, like I grew up, just a little story, like I grew up in, you know, a very born again Christian household and we were more focused on that more than, I guess, my culture. Um, and I think it it was only 
it was more when I kind of grew up a bit and went and on my own kind of life life journey to to find out more about my culture, um, Aboriginal culture, and and what that means for me. So definitely uh, a bit of up and down journey of, of who I am. But in in the last year, I think I've I've really come in come to know myself and and the depth of of who I am and what that means for me. And you know, since you've won X Factor. Um, you've done lots of touring and part of that touring is, you know, going to all those regional communities and doing those mentor mentorships and workshops with, with, with the communities down there. Why was it particularly important for you to head down there and do that kind of work? Um, because I felt like I just wanted to just share just like the, just the journey that I've had um, with my music and the success of my music and where I'm from, like a small country town, like, basically like it feels like achieving something like that is virtually impossible so like the whole purpose of the tour was definitely to tell people that it is possible you know no matter where you're from or who you are or how disadvantaged you may feel like you are um you have every right and you deserve everything that you want to go and achieve and that's kind of like the sentiment of, of the tour and yeah i did like mentorship and workshop um workshop things that I did with the, with mostly youth um, and not, not only just Indigenous kids too. Like we were going to high schools and primary schools and, and then out to Aboriginal remote communities and really spreading that message. And it was also great for me to just see that side of Australia and especially throughout Western Australia and, and in Northern Territory. You know, it was great for me just to, you know, be really connecting um, on like such a ground level <laughs> with, mm. with my people and, and culture and, and also just, yeah, travelling this amazing country. It was definitely like a tour I will never forget. And it was really good for my growth as a person and as an, and as an artist. Is there, was there any like amazing or inspiring stories that you can share with us that, you know, with the kids that you met? Uh, well, most of them, they're all like really shy. So when I like, when I would ask, I'd be like, all right, so guys, tell me, like, what are you, what are you guys into? What do you like doing? You know, some would say, you know, I like musical theater or some would say I'm studying health at the moment, or, you know, it was everyone that it wasn't just like a music based thing. It was more just about every, any or every goal that you have, like how important it is to follow that and achieve that. So I guess I had a bit of an impact on, on the kids and just like seeing their faces when I would tell them certain things in my, in my story. And yeah, I felt like I, I did, you know, affect them in a good way. Um, but just hearing like the things that they were really, really into and the passions that they have really warmed my heart. Mm, that's amazing. And it's great that, you know, we have someone like yourself, you know, who is the most dream first nation person in the world. So um, it's great that the, that a lot of us can, a lot of our kids can look up to you. So it's great that, yeah, we have you for that. Um, my next Thank question you. I did want to have to ask you was, you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement here. And mm-hmm. that's made us, you know, talk a lot and reflect on ourselves about our treatment towards our own First Nation people. I want to ask you, first of all, how have you been, how are you, how are you and how have you been dealing <laughs> with this the last couple of months? Because I can imagine it's been quite tiring and exhausting. Uh, well, I think for everyone, when we started finding out about these protests that were happening and then like hashtag Black Lives Matter started trending, like I feel like everyone was like, oh, what's going on here? But like it was so important, very, very, very important for that to be a, like a worldwide focus because, you know, 
it, it is a can of worms to open and, and start talking about, but I'm just very glad that us as one whole community in the world recognised what needed to be, I guess, worked on. And like just touching base on what we're talking about, my journey, my identity, I feel like what's happened in the last few months really made me realise like, wow, like I am a person of colour. You know what I mean? Like I am, I'm a, I am a minority. Like I've seen this happen. I've been in the presence of when racist things happen. Like it was a real kind of moment for me to be like, wow, this affects me much more than, you know, than I ever thought possible. And, and it empowered me because I was like, damn, like I'm a person of color and like I've done, I've had success in music and like, wow, I'm going to use this platform to continue to speak up and, and spread that awareness and just for equality. And it's not even about, um, skin color or anything like just equality across everything with with people and skin color and sexuality and and everyone that feels like they're different you know so mm. it was definitely great for me for my journey too as a person to to realize the extent of what it means for yeah. me but um it was like yeah i did actually also attend the 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 protest in melbourne as well um and it, it was my first time being at like a protest and i was a bit like I guess I was a bit nervous because I was like, I haven't been a part of something so <laughs> so big, but just any protest for that matter. But um, I felt empowered. And yeah, I feel like now moving forward, it definitely is a part of, big part of who I am and a big part of my, my job to mm. keep spreading that, you know. Yeah, I, I love how you brought up, you know, the whole thing that's been happening in the last few months. Like for me, for example, I've, growing up in Australia, I'd never felt like, a person of color until you know when the coronavirus stuff happened and people were blaming asian people on it that made me realize oh crap this is like really bad and that we there's a lot of work yeah. that needs to be done so right yeah so i'm glad that you brought that up because i think growing uh, for us growing up in australia you know we we kind of get blindsided by you know what's happening and we don't realize that this is actually a really bad thing that's been happening yeah exactly yeah it was i guess it was great that not only did the Black Lives Matter um, movement wake up a lot of, you know, people who are not of colour, but it woke up even more people of colour to be like, you know, to come to their senses and be like, oh, wait, yeah, that's so true. What the heck? <laughs> so that's definitely what happened to me. And, and yeah, I, th- I, th- I just think it's great that that was a focus for the world because, you know, mm. we need, we just need more love and we need more equality. hundred percent. Let's, Turn to something a bit more positive now. I want to talk about your new song that just came out. Um, tell us about it. What what can you tell us about your, your new song that's come out? Yes. So um, this new song is called Know Me Better. And um, I wrote it with uh, the Amazing Boys DNA at Sony. And the way we recorded this song was really, really cool. Like I was recording on my my music gear, but it was coming up on, on their music gear in Sydney. It was really different way of recording like I'm so used to being in the studio with the producer and you know them telling me oh you know sing higher there or no go low there but it was like super it was like on zoom call as well so (laughs) it was such an isolation style for recording so is it like a program where you make music together virtually is that what it is yeah yes Yes, that's exact. That's the word I've been looking for in every interview. I'm like, what's that word? Virtual. Virtual. <laughs> How could you forget it? It's the word that everyone's been mouthing every two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as soon as I heard this this track, the production that that um that that DNA, you know, they just played it to me. They're like, oh, we're vibing this. And as soon as I heard the production, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I love this. And so we just got into um, 
just writing and you know the, the creative process is just you know always just humming humming a little tune and being like mm-hmm. oh no that doesn't sound that right then they will they will hum something and write something then oh that sounds cool maybe change it here so it's like back and forth the creative process but i'm so proud of this song i'm so happy with it and i can't wait for it mm-hmm. um i can't wait for people to to hear it and um is this is this interview for after Friday or for after Friday? Yeah, after <laughs> so yeah. it's out. It's out. It's out. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is that I hope everyone's loving it. <laughs> um, I do want to ask. You know, know me better. We talked about identity and you know a journey on discovering yes. yourself. Does yeah, yeah. does this song relate to that? Is that what the song's part of about? Exactly what I was going to actually be going into that. The song is like when you listen to it, it is a love song. Like it is about trust in a relationship and telling someone that you, you should know me better than this. You should have more trust and not be so insecure. That, that's the sentiment of the song. But it, I think, yeah, exactly like what you're saying, the words know me better. Like after everything that's been going on in the world, I feel like I do know myself better and I do know my identity better. Yeah, it's slightly cheesy, but it's true. Like I know myself more than I, than I have in the past. And, um, and, yeah, it's just really exciting moving forward at the age of 20. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much more to achieve, but it's a good, good start. So yeah, well, every everyone's on their own journey to um, discovering and learning about themselves. But I want to ask you: this is a question I really want to know about. When can we finally get a new album? It's been many years now. <laughs> well, well, also like this is why this what I've been talking about of of knowing myself better and and all the, all the rest of it. Like I feel like musically, I'm coming into a space that I just completely love. You know, I'm really finding my voice and finding the sound and style. Like, I don't think if I was to bring out an album like last year or the year before, it wouldn't be, do you know what I mean? It wouldn't be like where I would want it to be because musically I wasn't, you know, mature in my musical journey. Maybe, I don't know, in the next, I don't know, There's I haven't heard any talk about an album. Um, I think just releasing these, this song is probably a great, step towards that because the sound and style is definitely if i was to do an album would definitely be a similar to like know me better really pop and r&b um but in the future hopefully like i know people have been asking and i can't wait like i love to write songs and i love to make music so as much music i as i can put out there i will i promise and if an album is coming like i 100 will let everyone know <laughs> I, I do have a suggestion on you should have a song where it's about cooking and it's made for tiktok so we all can make a videos of us cooking to, <laughs> to to the to the sandwich to the burgers that you've been making relate it to like tiktok and it can go viral and people can be doing yep. a little dance making sandwiches yep i never <laughs> i never really jumped on the tiktok like i did but i didn't and then i started hearing all this stuff that it's like a bad app and people spoil on you and like i don't know i was just like yeah. I don't know. It's it's too late to get it's too late to get on it till now. It's it's gonna be removed soon, so too late now. Yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> well as Isaiah, thank you so much for joining us. Um your song is out Know Me Better is out now on all the streaming platforms. So um please go out to check out check out that. Um anything else you want to finally say before we head off? Just um everyone out there keep safe, keep healthy and yeah, sending you lots of love and check out new track. You guys will love it. Well thank you. We'll see you next time. Awesome. Thanks, Phil. 
That's all we have time for this week, folks. Thank you so much for getting this far to our episode. If you love what you are hearing, please subscribe to us on Spotify, Acast, iTunes, or whatever platform you guys are listening to. Also, make sure you follow us on Instagram and join our Facebook community with other lemoners there as well. As always, you guys take care, stay safe during these weird, strange times, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.